Once again, my name is Pastor Caleb. I'm one of the pastors at Golden Gate CRC in San Francisco. Golden Gate CRC has uh, three language services, one in Mandarin, one in Cantonese, and one in English. My main area of responsibility at the church is ministering to the children, to the youth, and college students of all three of these congregations. I'm grateful to Pastor Ken Boonstra for giving me this opportunity to share God's worth with you. When I was still a candidate for ordination, Pastor Ken was one of the people at classes who would sit down with all the other candidates and have lunch with them to see how they were doing. And I also remember bumping into Pastor Ken at Grand Rapids during the worship symposium at Calvin University, and we were able to enjoy each other's company there as well. I also loved it when your youth director, Brandon Bajima, accepted my offer to come and preach for the youth at my church. This was during their annual Memorial Day retreat. And because of these interactions with Pastor Ken and with Brandon, I already feel like we're family. I was looking forward to preaching in person, but I'm just as happy to join you this morning for your worship and to share God's worth with you through video. Last week was Resurrection Sunday, where we celebrated Jesus' resurrection from the dead. When Jesus was raised from the dead, he doesn't immediately ascend into heaven. There are stories of Jesus meeting with others in the days and weeks after his resurrection from the grave and before ascending into heaven. Today, I'd like to share with you one of those stories where Jesus the resurrected Christ, appears to some of his disciples to join them in a seven-mile walk and have a chat with them. We will see that it was much more than a normal conversation. The story comes from Luke chapter 24, verses 13 to 35. I'll be reading from the New International Version. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things? he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, How foolish you are, and how slow to believe all the prophets have spoken. 
Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, Stay with us, for it is near the evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. Then they asked each other, Were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Two of Jesus' followers walking along, and Jesus just shows up to them while they were walking. And they were somehow supernaturally kept from recognizing Jesus. Jesus asks them what they're talking about. They tell him that they're really sad, that things didn't turn out as they expected. And what are they expecting? Well, Scripture says that they were expecting Jesus to redeem Israel. In other words, they were expecting Jesus to be the powerful political leader who would free the Jewish people from Roman oppression, and Jesus would establish a new physical state of Israel. Jesus' response to their expectation was to call them foolish. They were foolish for not believing the Old Testament scriptures that the Messiah had to suffer and had to die. This Messiah wasn't going to be a political leader. Then, starting from Moses to the prophets, from the beginning of the Old Testament to the end of the Old Testament, Jesus reveals to them how these scriptures prophesied and pointed to the Messiah's suffering and death. Yes, Jesus' suffering and death. During that seven-mile walk with those two disciples from Jerusalem to Emmaus, Jesus probably covered a lot of scripture pointing to his suffering and death. I won't be referencing all the scriptures that Jesus might have brought up, but I'll point out three passages that Jesus might have shared with those two followers. The first one might have been Exodus 12, verse 21 to 23. It says, Go at once and select the animals for your families and slaughter the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop, dip it into the blood in the basin, and put some of the blood on top and on both sides of the doorframe. None of you shall go out of the door of your house until morning. When the Lord goes through the land to strike down the Egyptians, he will see the blood on the top and sides of the doorframe and will pass over that doorway, and he will not permit the destroyer to enter your houses and strike you down. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5, 7, Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Jesus may very well have used Exodus 12 to explain how he was the Passover lamb whose blood saved God's people. A second verse that Jesus might have used during their seven-mile walk could have been Isaiah 53, verse 3 through 6. 
It says, He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took, our, he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Jesus may very well have shared Isaiah 53 with those two followers and explained how he had to suffer and to die at the hands of people. A third scripture that Jesus might have brought up during their walk might have been Jonah, chapter 1, verse 17. It says, Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Now, before you think that this is a more obscure reference, remember that Jesus himself had referenced the scripture back in Matthew 12, verse 40. He referenced it as a foreshadowing of what would happen to him. Jesus said in Matthew 12, 40, For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Jesus used the illustration of Jonah to illustrate the length of days that he would also be in the grave and how he would come back on the third day. Just hearing all these verses point to the fact that Jesus knows what it's like to suffer and feel pain. This should cause us to this should cause us to uh, realize that Jesus can empathize with us. Jesus also understands our pain. Hebrews 4 tells us that Jesus is able to empathize with our weaknesses. So today, be encouraged that our Savior knows. He knows what we are feeling. He knows what we are going through. And Jesus finishes explaining the scriptures to these followers, and they finally recognize Jesus. But right when they begin to recognize Jesus, he disappears. And notice what their, what their reactions were. Luke 24, 32, the last verse that I read in the, in the story. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Jesus revealed himself to these two followers, but he revealed himself in a very specific way. Jesus revealed himself through scripture. And what happened as a result of Jesus being revealed through scripture? The followers had burning and fiery hearts. What do you think it means when someone says that their hearts are burning or their heart is burning? I can imagine that it means that they were excited. They were stirred to action. They were convicted. 
and they were probably experiencing many other emotions associated with a burning heart. Now, this is how I want to live for Jesus. This is how I want to describe my heart as I follow him and as I am a child of his. This is what happens when scripture is open to up to us by God. Don't you want to be excited? Don't you want to be stirred to action? Don't you want to follow and love Jesus with your whole heart? Don't you want to say that you have a burning passion and a burning heart for God? The way to do that is to hear God's word. But not only hear God's word, but allow Jesus himself to give you understanding into God's word. Now, obviously, Jesus isn't standing next to us today and telling us what the scriptures mean, but he did promise us the Holy Spirit at the time of our conversion to do the exact same job. Jesus tells us in John chapter 14, verse 26, But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. The Holy Spirit will help us to understand God's word. Now, whether you're a believer or an unbeliever, the Holy Spirit of God can and will reveal God's word to you. So my natural next question would be, how can my heart burn with passion and excitement for Jesus? What are some practical things that I could do? What are some ways in which this can happen? I believe that the first thing we do is that we ask Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, to reveal Scripture to us, since that's one of the jobs of the Holy Spirit. So before I open up Scripture to read, I personally, I like to pray Psalm, 118, uh, Psalm 119, verse 18. It says, Open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law. So this is a prayer of asking God to open my eyes. I know that I'm blind. I know that I'm um, inadequate to fully understand with my own human, human power. So I, I use Psalm 119, verse 18, and I ask God, God, open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law. I know that my human mind can't comprehend God's word without his supernatural help. There are times when the Holy Spirit highlights and opens our eyes to certain Bible passages. Even when we've read them a hundred times before, there might be a scripture that specifically applies to your life situation right now. And maybe it was brought up during the Sunday sermon. Maybe it was brought up during a conversation with your friend. Or maybe it was the weekly Bible study verse. These are ways that the Holy Spirit can reveal Scripture to you. There have been multiple times when students at my church would tell me that the Bible study that we did that Friday night was exactly what they needed to hear from God. Or the Sunday sermon was speaking directly to them and their situation. The Holy Spirit can use Scripture in this way to cause our hearts to burn. These scriptures that jump out 
aren't usually brand new scriptures that you've never heard before, but these verses may jump out because they are God's life-giving words that He wants you to hear at that exact right time. Our hearts burn with excitement because we know that God is talking to us. He wants to love us with His word. However, we don't just sit around waiting for God to drop His revelation on us. We don't just wait for the next Sunday sermon. We don't just wait for the weekly Bible study to start to hear from God. We do our part in obediently seeking God in His Word for ourselves. We can find God's fulfilling words each day on our own by opening the Bible and reading it. The scriptures are already anointed. It says that they're God-breathed so that they can cause our hearts to burn with love and excitement for God in any situation and at any time. We ask the Holy Spirit to reveal all of God's words to us. We actively engage in a conversation with God about those Bible verses that we read. Now, what does it look like to have an active and engaging conversation with God using his word? Well, a conversation is usually between two people. So if God is speaking to us, how does he do that? Well, God speak to, speaks to us using his word. If we want to respond to God in the conversation, then how do we respond? Well, we respond in prayer. So a good conversation requires this kind of back and forth. However, when I was a child, I was taught a form where I would read all my scriptures at one time during my devotional times, during my quiet one-on-one -on -one times with God. And then I would pray all my prayers after reading all at one time. And these were my typical devotional times with God. Now, when you have a conversation with your friend, you normally talk with them back and forth. The reason why we talk back and forth is because it shows engagement. It tells the other person that you're paying attention and you're developing a relationship. If the conversation consisted of one person say, saying everything they had to say first, and then the other person saying everything they had to say, and then the two people just say goodbye after that, that's not really a conversation. That's more like a transaction. So how can we make our devotional times more of a conversation rather than a transaction? One way that I interact with God's word is that I stop to interact with two particular types of verses. And they're, all, they're found all over the Bible. The first type of verse is a verse that illustrates God's truth. The second type of verse is a, a verse that illustrates God's command. So for example, 1 John 4, 7 says, love comes from God. Well, that's, that's a truth. Love comes from God is a biblical truth that comes from 1 John 4, 7. So the first thing I do when I read a passage of truth in the Bible, I pause, I stop, I, I don't keep reading. First thing I say, thank you, God, for this truth. And then 
I ask God to reveal more of that truth to me. So if I read, love comes from God, I sit down and I say, God, thank you that love comes from you. Now, show me more of what that means. Reveal more of that to me about how love comes from you. So God speaks to me through his word, then I respond immediately to what I just read. Whenever I'm reading a scripture and I read a command from God's word, I also stop to respond. The first thing I do is that I tell God that I want to obey his command. So for example, the same verse, 1 John 4, 7, also says, let us love one another. Well, that's a command. And I will read that that section and it'll say, let us love one another. And I will respond by saying, God, I want to obey your word and commit to loving others. And then the second part of that is, God, I need your help to obey your command. I need your grace. God, it's really hard to love others sometimes. Please give me your grace. I ask God for help to obey his command because I know that in my own power, I'm not going to be able to obey his commands. So this is just a simple way to interact with God's word. When you read a truth, pause and thank God for that truth. Thank God that he's revealed that truth to you. And just ask God, God, reveal that truth more and more to me right now. And then after you've stopped and responded to God, you can keep reading your, the, the verses following. If you run into a command, you just say, God, you stop and you say, God, I, I want to commit to following your commands, following your word. And then you say, God, help me. Give me your grace to follow your commands. And then you can just keep keep reading your passage. That's a very simple um, way of interacting and engaging in God's word. But my question to you today is this. Do you want a burning and fiery heart for God? Do you want excitement and passion as you follow Jesus? Do you want to be full of life as you live out your Christian faith? Do you want to be fascinated and encouraged daily by God and his word? I believe that your answer to these questions is yes. And if your answer truly is yes, then I know that God's answer is also a resounding yes in response. Ask the Holy Spirit to reveal scripture to you. Be open to how God's Spirit is using your circumstances to reveal Scripture to you. Whether that's in your weekly Bible studies, Sunday sermons, or daily devotionals, just allow those times for the Spirit to work inside your heart. And finally, engage in 